And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in, uh, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So some of you were not born in 1989, so you won't remember this at all. Some of you were born before 1989, and you might not remember it at all. But in 1989, there was a movie that came out, and it was called The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Now, it was a great movie. I love this movie. I think it's the best of all the Indiana Jones movies. And in this movie, they're going after the cup of Christ the Holy Grail. And they go through this cavern, this uh, cave to get to a place, and there comes a scene where Harrison Ford, as Indiana Jones, stands at a precipice. He's like looking at it. And he's looking down, and he can't see, and there's a lion's head here. And it says, a leap from the lion's head is what is needed to get to the Holy Grail. And in the background, back further in the cave, is Sean Connery, who's playing his dad, who's been shot and is dying. And he whispers, gasping for breath, Son, you got to believe. It's a terrible Scottish accent. (laughs) And Indy realizes that it's a leap of faith that he has to do. And so in that moment, he has this anguished look of a leap of faith. You can tell that he's sort of a man of science and you don't do leaps of faith. And then he pauses. He closes his eyes, puts his hand on his heart, breathes deep. He's resigned to faith. He puts his foot out like this. I have to hold on to this because I'm not that balanced. And he steps down. He falls about this far and realizes that there's actually a path, this bridge of rock that looks exactly like the bottom. And he realizes it really is not that big of a deal. And he runs across and he gets to the other side and he casts sand so that everybody can see the way to walk. That's faith. Or at least that's the way that Indiana Jones wants you to believe that faith is. That really it is just a trick. It's just something that we tell ourselves that it's hard to have, but the reality is it's not that difficult. But it is. Faith is very much like our banner here. The banner underneath that die is written, this writing that Laura wrote for us. And it's all on this banner. 
underneath it. As a matter of fact, as you get closer to it, you'll be able to see it written out. Faith is very much like that. We strain for it. We want to see it. We want it to be so clear, so apparent, but it can be just a little hazy. Martin Luther King said this about faith. Faith is the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. Tim Costello, the president of World Vision Australia, in his book, Faith, calls faith this, that it is our meaning-making desire and drive. He talks about that there are three imponderables in life, things that it's impossible to ponder. One is the universe, one is self, and one is others. The universe, self, and others. But he says that faith is the thing that opens up the possibility for us to speak of the mysteries, to make sense of the here and now and what it all means. Faith, in fact, informs and empowers and equips all the things that we've been talking about, the love and joy and peace and hope that we've said. Brett Ballington wrote a great prose for us. It's in the front of your worship folder. Let me read it to you so you can see how it captures all that we're talking about. Faith is the hope that keeps you alive when you're dying inside. Faith is the peace that sets you free to love your brother when you have every reason to hate each other. Faith is the joy that offers a taste of the time after time that is to come when all suffering is gone. Faith is the love of a Savior whose birth in a manger was a humbling greater than any. The love of a Savior whose death the wrath of God poured out was a torment beyond all that could be imagined. Faith is trust in Him. He is knowledge of the past. He is the reality of the present unseen. And He is faith in the future eternity. You see, faith is something that we see happening within Mary's song here. The story that we actually see taking place, that we celebrate today, in fact, needs faith. When you think about it, a teenage, unwed mother, it's been said that she probably wouldn't even have the Savior had she been alive today. Look, faith this story requires faith for us. And in that faith, we have a song that she sings. That faith that she has comes forth where she says in the book of Matthew, may it be so, right? Lord, you've said this to me, may it be so. May this be true that I am carrying the Savior of the world. May it be true that I am carrying the Messiah. Let it be so. And she sings this worship song that reminds us of what faith is based on, what it is grounded in. Faith is based on the knowledge of who God is. And that brings us to worship. Notice that Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in the Savior, God my Savior, 
He has looked at me. He is ever pursuing. He is checking me out. He wants to know me. He comes after me. Faith knows God. Not as something that is far off, not as something that is distant, but a God who makes every effort to encounter us where we're at. Psalm 96 says that God judges with equity. Equity, not fairness. Because if it was fair, none of us would get there. None of us would know God. But equity means he knows exactly what we need to experience him, to know him, and to have faith in him. And so he gives each one of us exactly what we need. And what you need is different than what I need. And that's the amazing thing. She recognizes that. The other thing that Mary recognizes is who she is. Notice that she says and calls God her Savior. Mary recognizes that she needs someone to save her. She recognizes that in her relationships, in her world, in her place right now, she has no standing. She really is an outcast. She needs someone to save her. And so our faith has to acknowledge for us that we need saving as well. That we can't do it on our own. That as much as we want to, as much as we long to, we can never be completely all who we are supposed to be, all we're created to be, unless we rest in knowing that God knows us better than we know ourselves. That he wants us to see and recognize that yes, you're broken. Yes, you need a savior. And yes, you are my child. You are my chosen. You are my beloved. The next thing that faith does here that we see in the Song of Mary is it confronts. Notice. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Do you see what Mary is talking about there in her faith? She is saying that God's economy, the way that God views the world, is flipped upside down from the way that we see it. That here the outcast is lifted up. That here the poor are filled. And the wealthy are sent away empty. Faith is confronting. It doesn't allow us to sit in our own systems and our own comforts. It says to us that there is something more and different and better and abundant for you to have. And so it pushes to bring us into that. Not just on an individual basis, but on a worldwide basis. I highly recommend that you read Tim Costello's book, Faith. In it, he talks about the fact that there are people who look at him and his faith and they don't understand why he has it because of all the tragedy that he sees all the time in his role with World Vision, that he encounters all sorts of people that say, how can you possibly have faith in a benevolent God? 
And he very rightly tells them that the only way I can have faith in a benevolent God is because of it being specific. That God is not just some ethereal sort of thought, some great something far off in the distance, or some philosophical idea to attain to, but that God is specific, that it is resting in the story of Jesus, that God interacts with human history, and that good can outdo evil, and that hope will triumph despair, and that simple shoots of life emerge from the worst disasters, be they natural or human caused. He said, encapsulated in Jesus, in this confronting story, is a vulnerable God who has entered into our world and embraced our suffering humanity. And not only does it embrace it, it champions it. That Jesus entering in here is so confrontive that it says, yes, while I want you to see that things have fallen, I bring them all new. And that even your humanity, though you may think it is falling apart, is created by God for his goodness. Why? Because of the specificness of Jesus entering in as God. The last thing that's interesting about this story is it also reminds us and confirms that our faith is based on promises kept. Now, at this point, Mary really couldn't have felt like the promise had been kept when she says, You have helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Why? Well, she was in bondage. (laughs) This little... Town, this little place of Israel was under Roman control. How, how could that possibly be? Where's the promise there? Well, Mary knows that God is moving, that he is bringing his promise fully to the place of where it needs to be. That, in fact, she looks to the promises of her father Abraham as she looks forward to the things that God is going to do in the birth of this son that she has. And she knows that her faith relies that these promises are kept and are being kept and will remain kept until they are fully consummated and done. That in fact, she proves that our faith is very ancient future. That it rests on the things that have gone before, that it looks forward to the things that are coming ahead, and it rests in hope and joy and love and peace in the here and now. That God moves in that way. That our faith has to know who God is. It has to have a right understanding of who we are. That we need to look at it and know that it's going to confront us. It's not easy. And that it is conformed and based on kept promises. In his book, J.B. Phillips writes a story called The Visiting Planet. And in it, he takes a look at this day the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus from the angel's points of view. And he talks about a senior angel and a younger angel and how they are sort of going through the galaxies and the universes, looking at all the grandeur and the mightiness that God has created. And that young angel is just in awe of everything that's happening. 
And then all of a sudden they kind of come through our universe and they come to the little dot that is the planet Earth. And the senior angel says, I want you to pay attention to this place here. And the young angel says, why? (laughs) It doesn't look that special. It looks pretty dirty compared to all the other things that we've seen. And he said, well, this planet is the visiting planet. And the young angel says, do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? That he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures? And the senior angel looked at him and said, yes. And I don't think he'd be too happy with the way you're calling them creeping, crawling creatures. You see, because he loves them. And he went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. Faith knows that God is moving to make us like And that even now, in all of our darkness, we are like him today. Well, if you're like me, you're like this angel who, hearing those words that he came down to lift him up to be like him, the angel looks blankly at the senior angel because such a thought is almost beyond comprehension. Beyond the ability to grasp that God would do such a thing. We think that it has to be some sort of parlor trick. That really it's just this bridge that's been there all along. But here's the thing. Faith tells us that the incomprehensible, the thing that is so far out of being true, is the ultimate truth. That God wants us so badly that he became a baby to live as a man perfectly, to take on the cross all unrighteousness so that in that sacrifice we could be righteous. We could be at a place where we were created to be and have faith and hope and love and joy and peace. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. We thank you for your love for us. Let these words be your words, and if they are not, let them burn up and go away. But if they are your words, Lord, we pray that they will bring to you fruit. It is in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand and respond to the word by reading Revelation twenty-two seventeen with me. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Amen. We've now come to a time, you may be seated, of our offering. As we take that up.